Do you think you need a deadline imposed on you in order to get focused and motivated? Ultimately, this can mean letting emotions drive your behavior. The better path is to act according to ideals, shaping your emotions over time. The topic of today's episode. I'm Sharif Yunus with Dr. Kevin Majors. This is The Golden Hour. Learning to motivate yourself and shape your emotions in the process is a key part of anyone's growth. For a complete guide to personal growth, check out our all-new online masterclass. In this four-week masterclass available on OptimWork.com, Dr. Majors will guide you through all the key ideas of OptimWork with exercises provided to help you master them. Now let's get started. Hey, this is Sharif here with another episode of The Golden Hour. Joined by Dr. Kevin Majors. Kevin, thanks for coming back. Hey, Sharif. Thanks for having me. Well, Kevin, uh, we got this great email from someone who's been using OptumWork, and it's a very interesting problem and something that I bet a lot of other people struggle with too, So, including myself. Uh, so I thought uh, I'd just, let's dive in. Let's try and answer the question. So let Go me just it. read this. This person says, my friends often say, and most of the time I agree, that we need to do projects right up at the deadline. And this is the only way to do them. I feel like I can only work under real pressure. And even when I challenge myself, I simply cannot recreate the the pressure of a deadline imposed on me by a boss or a professor. Unless something is due tomorrow, I can hardly even start it. Does this make sense? Anyway, I know a lot of people are in the same boat with me, and I need to overcome this challenge. Thanks. All right. Kevin, what do you think? I'm prepared to agree with him. So in the sense that there's a lot, you you can get a bounce of energy by delaying starting. Strategic procrastination, deliberate procrastination. You put things off, you put them off, and so that you don't have that much time to deal with them. And then you know that you will deal with them at that time. And so... So as far as that goes, you know, I think it could be a strategy that people use. Uh, but I think looking at this question, there are, there's a problem in it. Uh, and so, so I, I think that when people come with questions, it's super interesting to think of how can you answer the question in the way that they can apply to the widest number of situations. And so to do that, you have to think about where... Are there any deeper misconceptions that have been revealed you know, in the question? And I think that this question does have some deeper misconceptions. And if we focus on those, I think that not only will it solve this issue, but they will be able to apply it to a whole bunch of areas in life where they found that they were somehow blocked. Okay. I mean, is, is that always the case or is there something specific about this that jumps out at you? Like, okay, there's a deeper root cause going on here. Yeah, it's the word I can't or I cannot. Uh-huh. So I people, feel like I, I can um, only, yeah. Yes, exactly. So those kind of words are flags. Anytime, if I catch myself saying I can't do that, because or we be tempted to say that, then you have to think, oh, okay, this is interesting. How do I dive in deeper? But in, so there's, there's, there's some couple levels here. Um, so... I would say that maybe that's like the deepest level, but there are some issues that come before it. And so you can see here that 
there is this idea that I can only do intense work. I can only actually start working under pressure. So that could be a problem, right? I think that there is, I think that, 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 that that's, that's a real issue because essentially it's like, say, what is pressure? Pressure in some way is a th- like what you feel of an imp- with an impending threat. So it's fear. It's like saying I can only work when I'm afraid of missing a deadline. Is, is that fair, do you think? I think that's a fair. Yeah, yeah, mm-hmm. I think that's right. I mean, it's it's interesting that uh, some people wouldn't even, like someone who really doesn't care about school at all, wouldn't even get motivated by a deadline imposed by a professor. So there's still some element that this is voluntary, that you're choosing to get scared or to get to to have fear of an impose of an impending deadline because you care about school. Yeah, and in a way, they're by agreeing with that this isn't and by describing themselves this way, they are using it as a strategy. The problem with this is how fixed it seems. So that like this is the only way that I can do it, or yeah. I cannot do it any other yeah. way. But again, I think that really they are motivated here by fear then. And they found that fear can fuel focus. But I think the problem with using fear as a kind of fuel is it's like cheap calories. Yes, it does give you some energy, but it's cheap. It's like stickers. So I love stickers. So, but at the same time, stickers is like a short-term strategy for getting some energy. It doesn't help people grow in the long term. You wouldn't want a growing human body to be just fed Snickers. Yeah. And similarly, when it comes to like your schoolwork or your professional work, uh, you wouldn't want your growth, your long trajectory, your long-term growth to be like fueled by fear. So, so the, and I think that there are also unintended consequences of fear. Often we talk about threat mode and what happens when people are in threat mode. It just means that it's a certain way of working where there's a threat dominating you. Isn't that what like the impending deadline is? And so you end up really kind of getting hyper-focused on attaining an outcome. In this case, finishing the thing by the deadline. And you don't end up thinking about the long-term growth you can attain in it. So I think fear doesn't really mix well with growth and creativity. Yeah. It's like if you're going to be writing a paper, let's say that's what's due. How likely would you be to experiment with free writing or new forms of outlining or new strategies for writing papers if you're on a deadline you don't have time? Yeah. So I think the deadline then can kill creativity and experimentation. Yeah. Yeah, that's right. And also it prevents you from doing your best work because uh, if, yeah, following the example of writing a paper, if you realize that there's some problem with your research that you might need to actually to do to write a good paper, you'd actually need to research this whole other topic or this whole uh, or a, a problem with your thesis or something like that. You'd be you wouldn't address it because you only have six hours left to to finish the paper, and you you basically only have enough time to do it exactly you know how you normally do it. So uh, so I think yeah, it's really a, a gamble to to use the deadline as your sole source of motivation. Yeah, and then how? What's the what's the trajectory then to getting to the point where people get joy from writing papers, and they they love it, and they see it's explorative, and they're like it's you know, there, there's all these 
there's their ideas get clarified. They get better at expressing and they learn how to work out ideas that were somehow confused in their mind. And then they see there's a deeper way they're all fitting together. There are all these really enjoyable aspects in this case, you know, to writing, but there's a joy to be found in work. And that joy is compatible with full on intensity, but not really with fear. So that's, that's the, the problem here is that, um, you know, there, it does actually detract from the, like the quality of the work they can do, as you were saying, and also just from the quality of their way of working. Okay. So then what, what, what advice do you give to someone who says, okay, I see that there's this, uh, potential joy in work and I see that other things in my life, I'm very motivated to just dive in and do them. Uh, it's not like, you know, playing sports. I can only do that Mm -hmm. if I'm motivated by the fear of a deadline. No, I mean, I could just go out and enjoy myself. Uh, so how do I make homework and writing papers and other tasks more like that? Well, there's still then a deeper problem in the question that I think we would have to address before okay. approaching this. And okay. and the the second deeper point is that this question assumes that somehow there, his ability to perform is depending on his emotions. Okay, so that if his emotions are helping him, like the fear is driving him to focus, then he can do good work. But if the emotions, say, aren't helping him or it's hard to do, he doesn't feel like doing it, then he just, it's impossible. He can't do it. Okay, that fundamentally reverses the relationship between action and emotion. Now, this is counterintuitive, I know, but emotions are really predictions that our brain is making for what we're about to do, getting it ready and facilitating it. So if you're, if it sees, oh, this is the kind of situation where he is going to likely flee or, uh, or fight, well, then it gives you the adrenaline to facilitate that action. If, uh, if it's like a, it sees, oh, this is the kind of cake he loves eating, then it gives it stimulates the craving and that helps with the digestive processes to get kickstarted. And so it's just emotions really are predictions for what you're about to do. Okay. So and ideally, they facilitate doing that. And even in this case, where if you have an impending deadline and you're trying to work, your, your lower cortex is helping you to have adrenaline that could help you actually to focus. But if you th- let your behaviors, your actions, be completely guided by your emotions, like dependent on them, then it's the blind leading the blind. Because emotions ha- are the trainee and our actions are the trainer. They, your emotional responses get completely shaped by action. So that way your body gets better, your lower cortex gets better at predicting the kind of actions you're going to do next. So your lower cortex actually wants to be guided by action. It doesn't want to guide the action. It's just making a prediction. And if the prediction then becomes, you know, uh, an accomplished fact every time it happens, then it's caught in a cycle and is broken. So uh, I don't know if that's, is that, I hope that's clear. Yeah, I think it make, makes sense to me. So uh, in, in this case, the the fear is the uh, prediction of the limbic system that you need adrenaline to engage this challenge to this deadline. Um, so yeah. that's, that's 
good, but you don't want to be reliant on that. And ultimately, you want exactly. to shape it so that uh, now, okay, do you want to shape it so that you can get that same fear? Uh, no, it seems like no. Uh, that if you're, say, doing the paper a week in advance, what would be the desired kind of emotional state that you would have at that time? Yeah, I think just to say in the big picture, um, in this case, the deadlines should not create the schedule. That's actually making our planned actions dependent on our expected emotions. Mm -hmm. So that's completely backwards. The schedule should create the deadlines. The freely chosen and crafted schedule should create the deadlines for you that gradually then you train your limbic system to take those seriously. But I think you need the habit of honoring a deadline that you set yourself to such an extent that it has the capability of giving you the help of adrenaline. So you can get an emotional boost that then helps you to do those actions in the future, but never should you feel like you depend on it. Yeah. Because the action is what eventually trains that a boost to happen. Right. So, but what you do initially is, and I think that you can attain flow without feeling a pressure of a deadline in any way. Yeah, and so because flow is where you do your best work, you know, just having high hopes for how well you can do something gives you the same adrenaline and doesn't rely on the deadline. So I would say it's better that people rely on high hopes for how they could do something rather than fears of not doing it. And if they like honor deadlines, they will still get a benefit too. So then you get best of both worlds. You have high hopes that help to shape how you're doing it. But, uh, but then you also have the, eventually, if you keep honoring these deadlines, then you get the boost too. Yeah. Yeah. Now when, when, uh, so how long does this retraining take? And it seems like it, uh, while you're retraining, you're, you're retraining the amygdala. So you're not going to be going into threat mode necessarily. You're not going to be going into threat mode. So you're not going to get the same kind of adrenaline of like pounding heart rate. Uh, yeah. like pounding heartbeat and you wouldn't and, want and to actually so, be peripheral anyway. Yeah. Yeah. So it's, it's going to feel a little bit different. So, uh, this person who's asking this question shouldn't expect that. Okay. Now when my actions are guiding my emotions, um, I'm just going to retrain it. So I feel this way more under my control, but it's, they're going to feel different and it might make, take time for that process to happen. Right. Yeah, I think so. Because really when you have internal adrenaline in your brain, uh, the, which is the performance-enhancing you know, variety of it, you could say, because uh, it could be either in your body or in your brain. Uh, the internal one just feels like intensity, but it also tends to just be invisible. So you just don't notice that it's there. Yeah, yeah. And it's easier, though, to perform everything. When, when adrenaline is outside of the brain in the body and your heart's pounding or stuff or you feel stressed, you feel tension, well, that is more noticeable, but it's less helpful for performance. But the more you welcome adrenaline in itself and say, hey, all this kind of charge is exactly what I need to perform well, bring it on, it actually does transfer into the brain more. The positive appraisal of adrenaline unlocks this kind of internal you know, adrenaline and you just get more excited. 
So I do think that you learning how to reframe adrenaline does help. But once it's reframed, it doesn't feel the same. You're totally right. Yeah, it seems like the uh, adrenaline, the peripheral, adre- the peripheral adrenaline going to your body, uh, it might help you with kind of executing the same strategy that you're very familiar with. Um, but it's going to prevent you from being creative. So if, if you're kind of up against a gun with a paper and you just like have to finish it in five hours and you kind of you know have a way of doing it, the adrenaline is going to help you just do it that way. But the adrenaline, the noradrenaline in your brain is going to help you be more creative. Is, is that accurate? I I, yeah, totally. I think that the... Um, when you have this internal kind of the, the positive intensity kind of adrenaline, you are not oh, thinking about it because you're not thinking about yourself. You're thinking about the task at hand or the person you're with. Uh, it's also then much more experienced as excitement or enthusiasm. And so if I'm working with a patient and I have an hour to do work, the thought of like, oh, I better accomplish X, Y, and Z before the timer strikes the hour, you know, that's not helpful at all. But I'm always enthused, I should say, you know, I think about how much progress can we make in one hour and trying to be daring in how I set goals for what can be done in an hour. And so it's exciting and it's joyful to be trying to help people more in a given amount of time and to get better and better at doing that, which requires then experimenting trying things and seeing what works and what doesn't work and always making it more efficient. And that's how you grow in mastery of any kind of craft. So you really grow in mastery when you have this positive sense of challenge, not something just getting it done by a certain time out of fear. Yeah. Yeah. So there's, I mean, there's a real problem with, with uh, this approach that this person is taking that uh, they need the adrenaline to perform well. And then because they, they uh, perform, you know, in a particular way with fear, they don't get better at what they're doing. And then so they still need the adrenaline the next time. So there's not a That's sense true. of actually growing in mastery, but they're just kind of trapped. Uh, exactly. And not, not necessarily getting better, at, or at least not as fast as they could be. Yeah. And I think you also see then, I think that there's a certain penalty that we pay when we let our actions be guided or controlled by our emotions. And that penalty is that we then come up with false reasoning and excuses that explain why that had to be the case. And so that's where people then kind of saying, I'm just not capable of doing X, or, you know, I always have to do this. What that means, I think, all of these limiting beliefs or beliefs about your own limitations, all of those in some way are just explaining post hoc you know, why, in a sense, it made sense that we let our actions be guided by our emotions. So that's like, I think it's a bold claim, but I think that limiting beliefs, any belief people have in a limitation, like I just can't do it that way, that's actually an emotional kind of blockage. Mm. So, and it's just explaining a time when they gave in to an emotion rather than letting their actions shape the emotion gradually over time. And so, like any emotion, limiting beliefs feel permanent. Emotions always feel permanent when they come. You know, so if you're sad about something, it feels like you will always be sad about it. You know, and if you're fearful of something, it feels, it feel, it feels permanent, always. Cravings, when people try breaking some bad habit and they get cravings, then those cravings always will feel permanent. 
And they might then have a limiting belief. I just can't live without X, Y, or Z. Right. So, and that, you know, especially if they give into the cravings, you know, like, yeah, I'm just not strong enough to resist. But all those limiting beliefs are just, it's really the same thing as the emotional blockage. The other thing that's interesting with limiting beliefs is that just questioning them makes you feel uncomfortable. So I have, you know, uh, I, you know, some, I have for many years not felt really comfortable playing piano in front of large groups. And so I could easily have the limiting belief, I just can't play in front of people. But it does mean that at one point, in fact, I shied away from doing it. There was an opportunity I had and I didn't do it. You know, and then I let the, I let the emotion of, of fear guide the action. And then it can become quickly this belief, I just can't do it. And if I question, well, can I do it? You start to feel the fear again. Ooh, I guess that's going to mean going out on a limb. It's going to mean trying something new. It's going to mean maybe, you know, messing things up in front of people and making mistakes. Okay. And the more I can just say, hey, so be it. The better I feel about making those mistakes, then the faster I get over it. And uh, so I think that this idea of the limiting belief, somehow, the, whatever the challenge is, always just appears negative. We don't see how we can embrace it and grow through it. That's great. So, okay. So now, so now we've kind of, we did a deep dive into these kind of root causes. Uh, and so we've got to take a, a very different perspective on the question originally posed. Now, now what's the path forward? How can this person, the next time they have something assigned, say it's due in two weeks, how can they start working on it a week early? How can they be motivate themselves? What 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 should they do? Yeah. Well, one thing is they should recognize that that they're going to gradually make progress in being able to do this. And so it's not just that they're the kind of person who can't start things a week early. It's just when they try doing that, it's going to feel different. And so they need to be curious about this new experience. And trying to see what are the actual emotional blocks that come up when they try doing it. And then experiment with new ways of, of scheduling these types of projects. So for instance, you could, if you have a paper due in a week, or let's say just an example of paper, if the person has like, okay, my deadline for day one is to come up with the thesis statement. And then by day two to come up with an outline and they break it up. If every day, if like the whole plan basically needs to be kept so you're not having to do multiple things in one day, you do get some distribution of the deadline urgency, you know, with each day. Because I need to finish this step before I do the next step. I need to finish that before I do the next. So you have these, these deadlines that each depend on each other. It just means you look at the project overall, you break it into steps. And then each step you assign to a day, for instance, you know, so that there is a little mini deadline that needs to be completed before you move on to the next step. That could make it easier to distribute it. Um, but the real thing here is they need to see that doing this kind of new approach that violates one of their limiting beliefs uh, is going to feel like at first there's no sense of emotional support driving it because their actions are now instructing their emotions. But the better they get at just holding their actions to this ordered ideal, 
the more natural it will be and the more they will start to see there's a lot to enjoy about doing it this way. And they'll come to love working with more of this kind of order and intensity rather than out of fear, just kind of get it, getting it done quickly. Mm-hmm. So, so then in the moment when they're sitting down and they're, they, they're kind of feeling, okay, I want to do the outline today. I don't feel motivated at all. So you say, just do it. I think you would say, yeah, think, make, the, make the step as simple as possible. Just keep breaking it down and make it very doable. You don't need a huge amount of adrenaline to accomplish a small goal. Mm-hmm. So trying to accomplish the big goal all in six hours, okay, that does require a lot of adrenaline. Yeah. You know, but there's, as we are saying, I think there's a lot of downsides to that. Although it could be used strategically if you're wise enough to like to know when to use it and when not to use it. But breaking it down into something small and scheduled, you see, you can work well independent of how much pressure or drive or adrenaline you feel. You know, and then gradually, by honoring these smaller deadlines, they, in fact, your de- your, the sense of urgency does get more and more under voluntary control. But that's a gradual process of shaping over time. Yeah. Okay, that's, that's really cool. So you would say, okay, so you have this paper due in two weeks or a week. Okay, can you break it down into five steps? And they, they would say, okay, yeah, sure. Here, this, this, and this. Okay, now take the first step. Can you break that one down into five steps? Mm-hmm. Okay, yeah. now is this small? Now is this first step small enough that you could just do it right now? If yes, okay, do it right now. If not, break it down yeah. more. Exactly. I think the lesson there is that with order, people can learn to work with tranquility, mm-hmm. you know, and you know, in in advance, um, and. But they'll also see that they are more creative. They come up with more strategies. They actually have much more joy and fun in doing the work because they can, they can actually have the space, the mental freedom to enjoy it and to do it well. Awesome. Well, Kevin, I think we're out of time here. But uh, so I don't know if you have a, any final thoughts you want to add. Uh, no, just just this idea that there is like there's when when people are breaking down tasks. And then really doing each step well and challenging them in each step, what happens is they get a kind of momentum that then carries them through. Even if it's spread over days, there is a kind of momentum there. You know, because in accomplishing this big task, they just broke it into smaller steps. I think that's a good lesson for all of life, where if you can see a way that you want to change, think of one of your limiting beliefs about your, you know, your character, about relationships. Not to think you just can do this all in one go. What would it look like to break it into smaller steps that then you can, with time, fully address and learn to like to embrace the challenge on that step-by-step? It's a progress. It's like progression you know, of steps that you're learning how to break things down and space them out. Hopefully that's helpful. Awesome. That's great, Kevin. All right. Well, thanks so much. And we'll be back next week. Thanks, Reef. Well, thanks so much for listening. I hope you enjoyed the episode. Don't forget to check out OptumWork.com for a set of online tools to help you engage challenge in your life. See you next week.